Welcome to the Elite Level Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Elaine, and this is the podcast where we explore how elite level performers think, act, and operate. As always, if you're watching this on YouTube, if you could smash that like button, be sure to comment, share, and subscribe. And if you're listening on any of the podcasting platforms, a five-star review would be very much appreciated. As always, we've got an absolutely fantastic guest here today. Sophie, it's great to see you. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. So Sophie, for the audience out there, if you could tell us a bit about who you are and your career highlights in two minutes or less. Oh, wow. So I'm Sophie. I'm the co-founder of Fiddleleaf. We're a workplace wellbeing company. And my career, really, I started in sales in my mid-20s. I worked for Thompson Local, which younger people might not have heard of, but it's a bit like the Yellow Pages, directory sales. And I absolutely loved it. I was in the top 10 uh, salespeople of about 250. And then I moved on to telecoms, worked in telecom sales, and then finally tech before I left. Kind of did a bit of a loop back really to how I started. And now I run a workplace wellbeing company. It's fantastic. And um, I'm really excited about today. A couple of reasons, of course, you got the accolade of being our first female guest on the podcast, which is awesome. And also we, we did used to work together. So as we work our way through, we'll be able to talk about a bit of that shared experience. But yeah. let's start with that Thompson local piece. Mm-hmm. You mentioned some of the audience may have never heard of them whatsoever. So just walk us through how you actually got into sales, why you chose to take that role. Help us understand a bit more. Yeah. And this is how the loop comes with my career really. So my dad is a performance coach and I grew up kind of sat in the back of a classroom or sat at the back of his workshops watching him and always sort of thinking I wasn't really listening but I probably was deep down and then he started working with an assessment and the assessment measures what we call values-based behaviours. It's based on a, a science called axiology which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit And I took that assessment and I was fascinated by it, but I didn't really feel like I had any life experience at that stage. So I was thinking, what should I do for the next few years and then maybe come back to it? And my profile, let's say, or how I mapped, how my behaviours mapped was very similar to salespeople and what their research on salespeople had found. So I thought, well, why not try it? So I applied, got a job working for Thompson Local as a field sales rep. And that involved at the time kind of charging around the country, selling advertising to plumbers, builders, mostly tradesmen. And uh, it was such a great experience. Uh, As I said, I absolutely loved that job, learned a lot. And then from there, I would say maybe kind of stepped to upper level in terms of technical sales so working in telecoms obviously a bit of a better knowledge of of technology and that side of things and then finally selling software hey elite level team thank you for tuning in to this week's episode i just wanted to take a quick moment to tell you about a program i just launched via elitelevelacademy.com having started my career as an sdr All I wanted to do was grow my career by becoming an AE and tripling my income in the process. And for that reason, I recently launched EliteLevelAcademy.com, which guarantees to take you from an SDR to your dream role as an account exec within eight weeks, or you pay absolutely nothing. So visit EliteLevelAcademy.com to schedule a free call to discuss how we can take you to the next level. Until then, enjoy the rest of the episode. 
I want to lean into the this Thompson local bit yeah. a, a bit more. And the reason why is I often say there's this bit of old school versus new school or, or modern era selling versus what it was like maybe back in the day, yeah. quote, quote, unquote. And when I think of a lot of organizations back then, there was a lot more of just being able to have to go outside, knock on doors, mm. hammer the phones. We then look at this new school of selling. There's a lot more technology. There's yeah. sales enablement platforms and all of these other things. So what was the experience actually like being out there, you know, right in the fire, as they like yeah, to call yeah. it? It's funny when I talk about it now, because first of all, we didn't have laptops. We didn't even have sat navs when I first started. And you'd be given a, a patch, an area. So I was quite lucky because I was based in Bournemouth at the time. So right down by the coast. So I'd have Bournemouth, I'd have the New Forest. And your days would be literally driving around, spotting tradesmen's vans, scribbling down the number, calling them up, saying, hey, you know, do you want to advertise? And it was quite, I guess it was quite rough sales in that sense. It was quite scrappy. But I think what I loved about it was the people aspect. So I spent a lot of my time sat in people's kitchens with a cup of tea selling to them. Quite often their partner was involved in the business. And so it was just yeah, it was a different time. We used to do all our orders on paper and then the team, we would meet at a McDonald's at the end of the day and somebody would collect up all of the order forms and put them in an envelope and get them to the post office in time so that they could get processed and put onto our figures. Uh, so it was, yeah, it's strange when you think of what it's like now. Absolutely. Uh, but a lot, a lot of fun. Yes, I can imagine. I, I also recall McDonald's being my best friend back there because yeah. I could get a meal, some Wi-Fi and there was a yeah. toilet there, but maybe not so good in terms of the physique at yeah. that time. How did you break into the top 10 there, Sophie? Because it's it's difficult. You've spoken yeah. about the fact that it's it's challenging, but you, you managed to find a way to break into the top 10. What was it that separated you from the rest of the sales force? I thought about this actually before I came here today. And I think... First of all, I don't think I'm a, a natural salesperson, maybe in the sense of what we think of sales today. I was always very interested in people. And I think the companies that I did best at was when I could really ask people about their business and get to know them on maybe a bit of a deeper level. Like I said, sitting in people's kitchens, half the time trying to distract the kids whilst I was trying to close the, the client. And I think that that helped a lot, that natural curiosity that a lot of people have talked about. And I also have to credit my boss at the time, my manager. I had such a great manager. She was the person that I could call up and say, I'm really struggling with something. Or she would say, this client's really difficult, so I'm going to come with you. And she was quite tough and, and scra very scrappy. And I think that she really helped. And one thing, interestingly, which... I've, I've just thought of is that she was very good with the team in understanding what our passions and interests were outside of work and making sure that she could accommodate for them. So in terms of how she looked after us, I used to sing in a band and I would have rehearsals on a Wednesday after work. So she would always make sure that I could be back in time you know, I'd never be expected to be too far away from home. And I think little things like that make a really big difference. And you want to work for somebody that, that treats you like that. 
Absolutely. And you hear that mantra sometimes where people say that people don't leave companies, they leave managers. Yeah. And, and it also goes the other way around, right? You've got a phenomenal manager, helps you lean into your role ultimately. It's interesting that you had yourself and your manager both as two females in what sounds like a, a pretty male dominated environment when you spoke about who you're having to sell to. What was that experience like both for yourself, also your manager, being in that type of environment then? It's interesting. I actually think that side of things was okay. It was fine. Yes, I was predominantly dealing with men who I was selling to. I was quite often on builders yards and I'd be, you know, picking up a coffee or grabbing a pack of biscuits to turn up and, and you know, that was a way to soften them up and break that rapport barrier. But I would say that telecoms when I moved into telecoms, had a little bit more of that kind of male-dominated environment, maybe because I had a female boss in Thompson Local. I never really thought about it too much then. But yeah, definitely in telecoms, it was very much more of a male environment and I could feel the difference when I worked there. Sure. Well, let's fast forward to that time now. So you've transitioned from, as you say, Thompson Local, different type of sale. You've now moved into tech. Why did you do that first and foremost? Into tech? Uh, I think it was just a case of trying something new people know that the directories aren't around anymore either. And I think we could see that coming. We were starting to sell websites and things like that towards the end of my time at Thompson Local. And so, you know, the times changed and it felt like tech was the right way to go. So yeah, it was a logical step really. That's awesome. I, th there's elements of your career, which I've, I feel I can relate to with mine in a way, because I started off, to be fair, in tech with printers and copiers, but then moved into e-learning and, and certain other facets, because I was just trying to find my way to prove that I could almost sell anything, right? And so I went from access management to e-learning and then eventually into tech myself. And what I found, it was, it was really helpful to get that diversity of experience. It sounds like it's been similar for you to be able to start off in maybe a bit of a hardened environment and then start to take that step into more of a maybe strategic sell in the way that, that it could have been for you. So once you stepped into tech, what was the first six months like for you with it being so new and so different? What was that first six months like? It's a really different selling experience, isn't it? You're, you're much more in the office, I found, which to be honest, I struggled with. And I didn't, I didn't stay very long in that environment. I did eventually leave and, and start working with my dad and then obviously set up my own business. But yeah, it is different. You are thinking a lot more strategically about how you sell. It's, there's a lot more in terms of support as well in tech from people who, who support you, not just your managers, but the people that step in and help on that, on that side of things. So it was different. And I will say it wasn't for me. I loved learning about technology. And you're right, the wealth of experience from selling different types of products is really useful. I always think you can look back on any job and say, how did I build some character from that? And how did I learn something that I'll take into my next step? And I definitely got that from it. Yeah. And it's fantastic that you were able to have that type of inflection to look at it as a fantastic experience that has taught you something, but you're very clear in saying this wasn't for me. Yeah. So why wasn't it for you? 
I think it lost some of the personal stuff that I'd really enjoyed about working at Thompson's. So I wasn't, it was more you're going into people's offices and you're sat and you're having a much more of a maybe business-like conversation. Fine, that's what it is. But I think what I liked when I was on the road selling was the the relaxed nature of it. The fact that I might be sat perched on the back of somebody's van with a coffee and a biscuit in hand saying, you know, do you want a half page or a full page and trying to upsell them to a to a full page ad so that they can beat their competitor? I think it's just part of my character, perhaps, that, that that's what I preferred. Sure. So if you were talking now to that that Sophie back then, and there might be some listeners out there thinking, I can relate to this where I'm, I'm on the fence. There's something about sales that I like. It might just be the money. It, it might be something else. So I don't know, you know, do I swing left or I, I feel my passion is elsewhere? If you were talking to that person or that younger Sophie, what would you say to them with the inflection you have now? I think it is about having that self-awareness, which we'll probably talk about a little bit more today. And actually bringing um, axiology, this this science that I use now into it, what that science looks at is how you value and what you value, what you value and how you value. And the way that you see things is through a lens or let's say three lenses. And those lenses are the intrinsic, which is generally the people stuff and the feelings and the emotions. There's the extrinsic, which is almost the getting on with the job, the kind of task side of things. And then you've got the systemic, which is almost that big picture. And it's thinking about where's your waiting with those three. So at the time, I was definitely a people person and that was my dominant lens. And so everything that I did or everything that I enjoyed, because I value people and I have that kind of intrinsic motivation towards people, that was the side of sales that I enjoyed. Whereas sat in an office making lots of phone calls, maybe getting the odd in-person meeting. For me, it didn't tick the boxes for me. So I think it is about having that self-awareness to know, actually, I might not be doing the sales job that's my passion, let's say right now, but I do enjoy sales. So maybe there's something else, whether that's a different product or a different type of sales that you could enjoy. Absolutely. And we're, we're going to come on shortly to, to your organization now and how that really feeds into the things that you just started to speak about. It's interesting because I, I have these types of conversations quite a lot now where I almost like to bucket it in a way into passion, purpose and, and wealth creation, because what I found is that a lot of people get into sales mainly focus on that wealth creation piece and they see it as a great opportunity to to make a lot of money and then they almost assume that as a byproduct of the wealth that they'll maybe find a bit more of that purpose or more of that passion my experience is certainly not quite translated that way right and i've seen earlier in my career having a probably a bigger focus on on the wealth piece being able to achieve some great things that maybe i've once dreamed about and then feeling a, a level of emptiness right where you get there and you say actually is is there not something more to life than this is there not i wanted a more of a sense of fulfillment and so that passion and purpose piece starts to then rise to the surface and i'm sure you've got a much more articulate or scientific way of breaking down what i'm saying there so i do want to really explore that with you but before we do that 
Bring us into that moment that you decided actually to to step out of directly being in the corporate world into going and setting up your own organization. What was the, the, the final strand that made you do that? So it was that last job in tech sales that I was sat in the office kind of twiddling my thumbs thinking this isn't for me. And I'd been delaying sort of making that leap to go and work, first of all, with my dad. But I'd already had an idea of how I wanted to set up my own company. So I just handed my notice in, started helping my dad with his business and kind of going back into the things that I was sat in the back of the classroom watching him teach, picking up about, yes, coaching, but also using using this science and using this assessment that he, he used in his business. And then alongside that, eventually I started to build what I, or map out what I felt would be a useful way of using this science so that people could understand more about their own well-being, how it impacts their work performance, which is kind of our ethos really in our company is that your personal well-being is what powers your work performance, how people could understand that better and then use that information to develop themselves. So yeah, that's that's been my sort of last couple of years really. It's amazing. And what I want to start with on all of this is that sales as a career path is probably quite notorious for words such as burnout, people not necessarily prioritizing their mental well-being in, in certain organizations. It's it's celebrated to just go all out 24-7 and constantly. And, and there's probably still a school of people who are going to push pretty hard to say, Sophie, that's just what it takes, right? I'm going to suspect that you're, you're, you're going to come at this from a slightly different angle and I might go back and forth with you a bit just to make sure that we can explore both yeah. strands of that. So what would you say to that that school of people that say, Sophie, the reality is, is that in this ecosystem, if you want to get ahead and, and get to the top, sometimes it is going to mean kind of burning yourself at both wicks to make sure that you can drive the results that are required. It's common, isn't it? And And that's fine. And everybody is welcome to challenge me on this. But I think what we found in our our most recent research which just came out at the start of this year we compared high performers in organizations to find a pc way of saying this average performers in organizations and this is over five thousand people took part in this research and what we found is that instead of the high performers seeing perhaps weaker well-being because they're burning themselves out etc what we found is that they were differentiated by their good well-being 23% better across various well-being markers that we look at. And that's 23% is quite a substantial difference, actually. And so what you find and what I've seen in organisations is you get this sort of middle level creeping into high performance where people are burning themselves out, perhaps, or, or going through a bit of a cycle where they're going all in and then they can't do any more. Yes, they have this burnout. And then when you get to those high performers, it's almost like they've had that realization of actually, I need to take some time for myself. We can talk about those, the detail of what that encompasses, but it's almost like they've recognized that in order to get their best work out of them, they have to put something back in that and that energy has to be going back in in order to to get the best out of them. It's really interesting hearing all of this. I want to start with the well-being piece. So mm-hmm. how do we define well-being and, and what do those markers look like? Yes. So well-being, most people think of as self-care, yoga, 
healthy eating, gym, fine, that's great. They all contribute to your well-being, but they don't make up your well-being. So the things that we look at specifically are things like, first of all, how you handle stress and pressure. And that can be in your working world and in your personal world as well, in your personal life. We look at things like um, assertiveness, which I think in sales you might recognize that a bit more but across other industries people don't always think of assertiveness as as a contributor to your well-being self-esteem self-confidence things like self-direction which creeps into the purpose piece that you were talking about so those are a few of the things that actually start to make up your personal well-being and you can see straight away if you think about it how they might impact at work. So if you are under a lot of stress, particularly personal stress, and there'll be people that say, I can shut the door and come into work and get on with things, it won't affect me. And that's fine up to a certain point. But at some point, that stress might start to creep under the door. And when it does, the things that we see it typically affect are your strategic thinking, your problem solving speed, your intuition, all key things for, for salespeople. So yes, we might not be able to prevent personal stress. We can't prevent trauma and things like that happening in our lives always. But if you have the other things in a good place, then the chances are you'd be able to deal with it a bit better. Got it. Yeah, this is, um, this is fascinating. The natural question at this point is to say, well, how do you start to deal with that? Before I get there, I want to understand how much of this can actually be affected or changed because some people might say, well, you know, how much of this are we just born that way, right? You know, our propensity to be able to deal with stress, our propensity to be able to make adjustments in some of these areas, some of them just jump to mind as I can do something about this. And then there's others that you start to think, well, can I do much about this? Is part of this just an acceptance of of birthright? What's your stance on that? I think this is the difference between personality and what I tend to look at, which is what we call values-based behaviours. So personality tends to be pretty fixed. So they find that from about the age of five, you're, whether you're an extrovert, introvert, won't shift too much or too dramatically throughout your life. But when you think about what and how you value. So I'm not necessarily talking about our core values, although there's a similarity there. I'll give you an example. If you value neatness and precision, then the chances are you will be quite good at being neat and precise and you will like things done a certain way. And so that then drives a behaviour within us and those behaviours become habits. So with things like assertiveness, yes, you might not be a naturally assertive person, but it can be developed. You can learn to be more assertive. Things like self-purpose and self-direction, you can find those things. It's about having that, first of all, having your awareness raised to know what you might want to develop and also thinking about how those things impact on you and impact on your work performance. So for a salesperson, assertiveness, if you're not comfortable expressing your opinion, perhaps disagreeing with people, if you would prefer to shy away from those types of conversations, then that is something you can work on, whether that's just going and watching some YouTube videos. And that could make a difference in your work life. Got it. And what I'm thinking through is how do you best evangelize this? Because 
there'll be a school of people I could see that will listen and say, I see the logic, I get what you're saying, but I know I've been in this position before, right, where I'm I'm sitting there and maybe doing something that should constitute to my well-being. I've still got that itchy feeling that I still need to get back on the laptop or I still need to get that thing done when in reality I'm on a day off and I'm one of the worst people for for actually taking true annual leave as it's as it's referred to. So what have you guys seen that work well when it comes to actually evangelizing this and starting to get people more bought into the concept? Because it still feels to me that there's work to be done in terms of making some of this stuff a bit more mainstream and and, and more comfortable, certainly within the sales ecosystem. Yeah. Do you think it's fair? I think that's that? fair, definitely. And I think that well-being gets a bit of a rep as being a bit fluffy or a bit woo-woo, I sometimes say. So, okay, so a, a practical exercise that people can do is, and bearing in mind, I'm going to describe something people might need to close their eyes and visualize or grab a pen and paper and, and jot something down. But what I always say to people is draw two rectangles stacked on top of each other or draw a square and just cut it in half across the middle. And then what you're going to do is think about how we're going to fill these two rectangles. So imagine you're pouring water into it is is an easy way of thinking about this. So the top rectangle is going to represent the energy that you put externally, which is typically work, And I'm sure for most people it will be work, but it can also include things like family commitments, children, other things that take up your energy where your energy is going outwards. So sort of scribble that rectangle in as full as the energy that you give. The bottom rectangle, scribble that and fill that in to the energy that goes inwards, the energy that goes back to yourself. And that can be four things. Okay, it can be for self-care. It can be going to the gym, but it can also be things that you do for yourself. So think about um, any hobbies that you have, anything that, that that fulfills you outside of work. A lot of us get our fulfillment from our work. And how full is that rectangle now? So comparing them to each other, What I describe as the ideal shape would be like a two-tiered wedding cake. So imagine a two-tiered cake, what would you see? That bottom tier would actually be wider than the top tier and it would support you to get, it would support that top tier. But what most people will have either drawn now or pictured in their minds will be almost like an upside down wedding cake. So that top tier will be much fuller than the bottom tier. So even in that basic analogy you can see well what happens if that if a bottom tier of a wedding cake really was narrower than the top tier it could collapse it could tip over you know it's not going to end well so it's just a really simple sort of self-assessment really to say okay well how is my energy being distributed and we do have that temptation to put all our energy into work now the challenge that you'll find is that if people are not being fulfilled by their work, if they're not finding purpose in their work. And we we don't always sell products that we have that passion for. It's not always our life calling, as it were. Then how are you getting fulfillment elsewhere? And if you have that narrow bottom tier of the wedding cake, then the chances are you're not getting it. So you are heading for potentially burnout or not a great time. (laughs) So it's having a think about now, what can you do to start to fill that bottom tier of the wedding cake? So this is where we get practical. 
So we get into things like maybe things that you enjoyed when you were younger that you don't do anymore, taking that time for yourself. I had somebody come up to me once after a workshop that I'd ran and said, I've taken up golf. And I said, all right, why have you taken up golf? And she said, because my husband can't bother me on the golf course. My kids can't bother me on the golf course. It's my time that's truly for me. So it's worth having a think about how can you get fulfillment outside of work and how can you start to fill up that bottom tier of the wedding cake? Because when you have those things in place, you will perform better in the workplace because you will have this foundation to support you. It's a phenomenal example. I'm going to have to listen back to this myself (laughs) and uh, work through that because I think closing my eyes right now won't work out too well. But thanks so much for sharing that great, great exercise. I've been reading this book recently, Sophie, called Atomic Habits. It's a big book. Maybe you've read it. I'm I'm sure many others out there have. And uh, I'm still relatively early on in the book. But one of the aspects that it, it talks about is these almost identity shifts to really start to drive long term, meaningful change. And one of the things it was inferring is that, you know, we talk about diets and things that are very time or occasion specific and how people can almost rebound off these things easily because you're trying to achieve a short term goal in quite a tactical way but there's no fundamental shift in almost who you are by identity so I wanted to explore with you how much of the work that you do constitutes to someone really needing to do a lot of inward work to look at how do they transition the person they are how they identify versus just actually systematic changes in habits per se does that make sense absolutely so that's a, such a great question. So one of, I think fun, the fundamental aspect of well-being, and maybe I should have started with this right at the beginning, but it comes in great here. Earlier, I talked about the lens that we see the world. That's our extra, that's the energy that's going outwards about people getting on with the job, big picture thinking. But we also have this internal lens. It's like a self-reflection of how we see ourselves. And Robert Hartman, who is the sort of grandfather of this axiology science that we use he said that we see ourselves in in three lenses just like how we see the outside world and that way is either as a unique individual so it's almost like this value of self-worth I value myself for the unique contributions that I can bring to this world so it sounds so it sounds exciting doesn't it then we have this other lens which is the role that we play in this world so that could be work or it could be the role as let's say a father a parent something like that and then we have this lens where we're almost the opposite to the uniqueness it's almost like an an abstraction way of thinking of ourselves. I'm not anything special. I'm part of a cog in this wheel of life. We're all just part of the system. And when you think about, so people might be thinking now, how do I see myself actually? What we find is most people see themselves as in this abstraction piece. The unique oriented person, funnily enough, quite common with salespeople. But it's interesting because not enough people have that sense of value, value themselves, value what they can bring to this world. And I think that's really the starting place because that's then going to have that ripple effect on all the other things. If you value yourself, if you have a strong sense of self-worth, 
you might be able to be a bit more assertive because you, you're you going to recognise that you can contribute to a conversation. You might be better at um, just looking after yourself and, and giving that energy back to yourself, filling up that bottom tier of the wedding cake because you recognise that you deserve it. So it really does start there. And I think doing that inner work, as you said, Hartman said there were there were four steps to developing the inner self. And step one was to know yourself. So people listening now could go, right, I'm going to go on an exploration of this. I'm going to start thinking about what fulfills me. I'm going to take a personality test. That's fine. But whatever you need to do to start to really understand who you are and what makes you tick. Then he said you need to accept yourself, which is probably the hardest one of all of them. Actually being able to accept yourself for who you are, what your strengths are, what your potential development areas are. Can you take criticism? How do you handle feedback? Thinking about things like that and accepting it. Because then once you've done that, you can move into the next step, which is grow yourself. So starting to work on yourself, do that development that we talked about where it might be finding a book like Atomic Habits and taking some things away from that. It might be watching YouTube videos or listening to podcasts that are going to help you develop. And then the final step was give yourself. Because one, once you've got those three things in place, then you can give yourself to work or whatever cause or whatever it might be more fully because you have a great understanding of who you are, what makes you tick, you're fulfilling yourself and all the rest of it. So I think it's really interesting. I've, I've talked about this before, but I think in this current age that we're in now, we almost flip it on his head. We give ourselves first and we don't take the time for the other three. And so they're all sort of, you know, like you said, I'm working on a Saturday, I don't have time for all that stuff. And yes, so it's thinking about how you can reverse that. Yes, no, absolutely. It's a ton of gems in this, uh, Sophie. So I'm, I'm just soaking it up and absorbing it all. It's interesting because there's certain aspects of what you've described that I feel maybe I've been doing subconsciously. And, and I'll tell you one is that Muhammad Ali has been a massive role model for me, someone that I've always looked to. If anyone's been on a Zoom call with me, they'll see the photograph behind me is of him, my wallpaper. And part of it is because of his self-belief in himself. It was something that that stuck with me, you know, many years ago and has really helped me have that self-value, right? And really double down and actually believing I'm the best at what I do, right? And I think that ethos helps you show up, uh, perform better. And, and it has certainly helped me be more present in all of the moments where I've been out there. So just that premise of self-value, really looking inwardly and saying, actually, I'm here for a reason. You know, I'm good at what I do, being committed to development. For anyone out there listening, potentially just finding someone else, you know, that they can model themselves on or can take something from. I've certainly seen how impactful that could be for me and, and, and maybe it can help other people as well. I want to zoom out slightly here, Sophie, and touch on a couple of other topics. One being what you've seen as a good example of a, a working week or even a day, for example, because I'm sitting here saying, okay, if I was to optimize my day to give myself the best opportunity of showing up with a ton of energy and a, and a ton of vigor, just walk us through maybe a good example of a typical day or a typical week, whatever works best. Oh, for me, 
I'm lucky because I I set my own schedule because I work for myself. So I have found, and I worked from home long before the pandemic as well. So I think I have found what works for me and it's not going to be right for everyone. So I do think it's a bit of experimenting. I know that I have to get my exercise in first thing in the morning, otherwise I don't do it. And then the day does take over and you get to five o'clock and you think, I'm in the middle of something. I don't have time to go to the gym now or whatever it might be. So that helps me. And another thing that I try to do, because I know that I do my best work in the morning, that that tends to be when I'm sort of switched on and, and full of energy. I try not to take meetings. I used to say until 11. So I always find people put meetings in your diary for 10 a.m. That helped. And I actually pushed that even back into the afternoon if I can, because then I find that I can get everything done that I need to tick everything off my list before I start get stuck into meetings and having almost other people demanding my time. I think it's for people to work out for themselves and understand, first of all, what they need to fulfill themselves. And for some people, it will be yoga. For some people, it will be going for a run, you know, taking that time perhaps to meditate in the morning. I've heard you talk about meditation as well. And it it really is about going on a journey of self-discovery. And I think that's something that even just as a first step towards, I'm going to look after myself a bit better. I'm going to put some effort into my well-being. Don't say, well, I have to do yoga every morning. Say, I'm going to go on a bit of a self-discovery and try things. When we were kids, we used to try things all the time. Dance lessons one week, football the next week, or whatever it might be. So don't feel like you need to find that thing straight away. I'll admit, I struggle with meditation, so maybe I'll get some tips from you afterwards. But I did discover somebody recently, a lady called Kareem, who has a company called Karmify UK. And she does meditation through quite Ibiza-style music, quite a lot of dance music, heavy drums, things like that. And I thought, I can get on board with this. And it resonated with me. So it is about that. It's about going on that journey of self-discovery. Maybe we we need to try out this Ibiza style meditation. Maybe I'll prefer it. Great pieces in that, Sophie. I want to touch a bit on the routine that I've certainly found has made an amazing difference for me. But the premise I want to talk to with it is that sometimes in life, I, I remember when I first started meditating, when I got quite bored, I got a bit bored quite quickly. My head was just so noisy. I was really struggling to quieten it down. There'll just be certain times where even exercising, I found going on the treadmill and doing a, a walk for an hour, I'd get quite bored with it. But there were two things that stuck out in my head. One was I felt much better after I meditated. The same thing for went for when I worked out. I felt much better, right? All of those positive endorphins. And so I started to realize in a way, whether I, I specifically enjoy it or not, it makes me feel better. So let me find a way to make these things that are helping me feel better enjoyable in some fashion. So I just remodeled my workout routines and now I tend to do about 15 minutes on the treadmill, but do 30 minutes of stuff that I I enjoy much more. With meditations, I I trimmed down the time and I I found a book that was uh, recommended to me by Jason Crean at at Zscaler. So thanks, Jason. That really got me dialed into a particular way of meditating that I now love. So all of a sudden, 
I was able to go from someone who was a bit disconnected from some of these things to super leaned in. And I do them every single day, even before we came here today. It's the exact same routine. I feel much better and I love it. So I think whether it's Ibiza music, whether it's being in a, a dark room, the premise of it works. So find a way that works for you and then you'll be in a great spot. It's, inter- it's so interesting that you say that. My dad works with a lot of athletes, actually, and with this kind of exercise becoming almost like a chore. So a lot of them will see, almost see some of the exercise that they have to do as a work. So it becomes that external thing. It becomes that thing that sits in the top tier of the wedding cake. So how can you find enjoyment from it in a way that it does fulfill you? I completely, I completely agree with that. That's awesome to hear. Sophie, I've got a a couple of other questions left for you before we, uh, we part ways. One of them is that everything that you've spoken about, what I think is awesome is you've been a model example of all of the things that you, you talk about, you practice and you preach and you've gone from a career path that that's tough it's intense you ultimately said it isn't for you and you've seemingly gone out there and found your passion and your purpose so what's your broader advice to to others you know that are in a similar position where now you know they maybe are, are just operating a bit in limbo with what they're doing what would your advice be maybe the first step they could take to start to get towards the direction of travel that you've had I think it's quite natural in sales to move around. I think a lot of people generally in sales have worked at a few different companies, sold different types of products. And I think that 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 is a good thing sometimes, especially if you're not completely satisfied with what you're doing, because you will learn from each different company that you go to. So I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I I, I am a self-confessed job hopper. I hopped around. There's other sales jobs that I haven't talked about (laughs) that, that I did as well. But I think it's about a couple of things. So if you're not if you're not getting the fulfillment out of the role that you're in at the moment, can you get that fulfillment elsewhere? I think that there is a, a big drive and a big we are hearing a lot about purpose driven work and you can't always do that from day one. It is about that self-discovery. So can you get the experience where you are now and find fulfillment from outside of work? Because that might be enough for now. It doesn't necessarily mean I'll quit my job and move on to somewhere else. So I think that's something to think about. But then ultimately, at some point, you might decide that you want to go and carve out your own career path for you. I know for for me, the last job that I was in, I did think, what am I giving back at this stage? Uh, And I, I couldn't really figure it out. And I knew that there was something waiting for me, obviously. But I think that self-discovery that I talked about earlier is is the key part in this. Awesome. That's great to reiterate it. And just as we come to the, the, the closing moment, Sophie, everyone gets asked this question as we round off the podcast. But if you were talking to that person out there in their career that wants to go from good to elite, what would be the best piece of advice that you could give that person to optimize their performance to that elite level? It's a summary of what I've said, I guess, today, which is... Go do that self-reflection, understand, get that self-awareness, use that information to accept where you are right now and learn how you can develop yourself. So go and wherever you need to go, YouTube, podcasts, and start to put that development in place. 
Very succinct. I love it. I want to hand you a virtual trophy, Sophie, for being our first ever female guest and for coming out and representing in a phenomenal way. I hope you enjoyed being on. To everyone that's listened, thank you so much for tuning in. If you're watching this on YouTube again, please be sure to give us a like, comment, share and subscribe. And if you're listening to this on any of the podcasting platforms, that five star review would be fantastic. And we'll see you on the next one.